0: Good morning, Mickey. How are you doing?
1: Zach, I'm doing well. I'm uh, trying to enjoy the, the outdoors um, and, and still stay not so hot, which is not an easy thing to do.
0: Remind, remind me where you are right now.
1: Uh, I'm uh, on the shore in Delaware uh, at a state park. Uh, just arrived uh, yesterday. We've been in Virginia Beach for a couple of days or at a city park north of Virginia Beach. And uh, on our way back home, we've got one full day left before we head home. And it's uh, been a few days at home before we regroup and hit the road again.
0: That's incredible. That's incredible. Well, hey, here's to hoping that the weather is a little bit more mild today so that you guys can enjoy your your final day before you before you head back home. But uh, I mean, if the forecast is any uh, reliable indicator, it looks like you're you're in for a hot one.
1: It's going to be another hot one. Hot,
0: hot, hot. And with that, folks, we welcome you to Fanatical Fridays. goal every week is to discuss the traits, the strategies, and the tactics that separate the best enrollment management teams from the rest of the pack. So Mickey and I were talking, and well, one of the things we wanted to do today was really just be super honest with you all about the things racing through our mind over the past week, the past couple of weeks. You know, it goes without saying that these times are incredibly unprecedented and really, really challenging in all sorts of ways. So, Mickey, I'd just love for you to kick us off by sharing a little bit about a couple things. Uh, even just kick us off with one thing that has that you've been noodling on, that's been that's been bothering you, that's that's been inspiring to you uh, over the past week.
1: Well, uh, you know, one of the things uh, a lot—well, every week when you ask you what's on my mind, a lot of it comes from just the conversations that you have with with clients or prospective clients. And a couple of things stand out to me, uh, and and this may not be relevant for everyone, but I think there's some pieces of it that that can be relevant for everyone. Is is as you know, right now, I, I for whatever reason I tend to be working more with um, several two-year institutions, community colleges, and the like. And, you know, I, it seems that most of the ones I'm speaking with, whether or not I'm actually working with them, they're they're down a little bit more mm. than others right now. Um, and some of, you know, with, if you're not familiar with enrollment cycles at a two-year institution, such a significant number of their students and, you know, the FTEs or just overall headcount come in, you know, within weeks before a term starts.
0: Sure, sure.
1: Um and so it makes really predicting and projecting your class really difficult when you, you know, a third of your pipeline may not, a third of the people in your pipeline may not enter the pipeline until six weeks before the term actually starts. Sure. And it's very difficult to do. Uh, and I think that has kind of put them in, a, in this precarious position of, you know, we can wait before we react and panic, but even though we're down somewhat significantly because everything happens at the end anyway. Well, you know we're we're near the end, and if you're still down 20% year to date, not just 20% to your goal, 20% year to date, you know it just puts it puts it in such a tight situation to try to recover, and and I think um, you know the folks that are out there that will enroll, or who are seriously considering enrolling, you know who were already waiting to the end or just nervous, unsure what to do, and I'm sure there's that's ha- still happening to an extent. At a foreign institution, folks may have somewhat committed earlier with a deposit or something like that, or saying, Yes, I'm going to enroll, some type of indicator, and that are still nervous. But it's just interesting to see how all of this occurs. And and one special population, or a couple of populations I'll point out that seem to be uh, uh, a lot more than, than others uh, transfer students. I'm seeing that across the board with my two year institutions and a couple of institutions as well, where they're off more significantly. Um, And and then for institutions who have a significant number of students enrolled through some type of dual enrollment program, those would be high school students taking a college course. um, Because... You know, I'm seeing those numbers being down. and A lot of times that dual enrollment sometimes is down. Well, the dual enrollment comes in because schools work more closely with high school guidance counselors. To, usually, I, I will say, uh, in collecting those registrations and with everything being remote, I think it's just kind of prolonged and delayed it, and it is um, put folks in a position. So if you don't have your processes set up, if you don't have a great relationship with all those counselors, uh, guidance counselors in the high schools that help send those registration forms over to you, you're not getting them timely, and it's sure. putting things you know it's making your numbers look dramatically off, so I'm seeing that also across the board uh, so uh, you know that you know trying to figure out how do we a solve for the immediate but also put something in place so that we can uh, more proactively more accurately get counts and get these things taken care of in the future you know trying to solve both at the same time is something that's on my mind.
0: I'm curious about the uh, the culture uh, around sort of being innovative, being fanatical in this moment. Are you finding that people are, as they're experiencing these realities and they're they're looking at these numbers, are are folks responding boldly and saying, "All right, you know, Mickey or or all right team, you know, what what do we need to do to make this change?" Like, are are people open to radical ideas, or is it still, are are folks like? Still scared, nervous about trying too many new things. Like, you know, time is obviously of the essence. Uh, it's not like we have months to kind of put a strategic, a short, even a short-term strategic plan together. But I'm curious how you, how you would describe sort of the the culture around um, the around the crisis. Really, like how how receptive are folks to doing things differently?
1: I think they're receptive. There are more people pitching in on campus that are willing to volunteer to help with things. Okay. I think the the concern really is how you know how radical is this idea and how can we get that spun up in time to make it work for us.
0: Hmm. Okay. Okay. Right. Because yeah,
1: we've got four weeks.
0: Yeah. So if yeah. you're
1: talking about some type of campaign that's going to generate a new lead that's not in your pipeline, you've got to create it, launch it, get the lead in. And move them through the funnel in four weeks. Now, if you're an, uh, an online institution, a for-profit institution, you're more accustomed to that. Sure. And you have a lot of processes and things in place already in place to do that. Uh, but you know, if your nurture campaigns are designed to help nurture someone over the course of twelve weeks or six months, you've got to rewrite everything. Yeah. And that is where it really starts to put a strain on someone or even if you use an outside group um to help do that you know being able to review it say yes to it uh, those are doing that in a you know a one hour time frame versus a one week time frame maybe two weeks you know you know what it's like work through you know some folks you get there's a lot on your mind you're trying to get a lot of things done and so when someone says hey i've got these uh drafts ready for your review you put that on your to do list and you get to it in a week. Yeah. yeah. Well now we gotta get to it in an hour. Yeah. You need this done in an hour because they have to be ready to launch tonight yeah. or tomorrow morning. Yeah. You know, that is that that's the hard part of being radical about it. Yeah. Um, and it's because it's so far out of what you just even think about doing and it just throws people off and so that's where i think the part of the struggle is it's not the unwillingness to try something radical it's it's how to operationalize the radical side of it um is where folks struggle now uh, our, my the clients i'm working with right now are doing really well they have responded we've got things in place uh between uh mid mid next week and the beginning of the following week to have some events that are more campaign focused again you know we're looking at how many people do we have in the pipeline that we can convert it's a blend because you know if i normally convert say 20% of the people in my pipeline i've got fewer people in the pipeline maybe 20% fewer people sure well i next probably need to convert about 35% of those people maybe 40% of those people if at all possible what can i do that differently to double my conversion rate uh, and then i also need to look at what can i do to add more people to the pipeline Sure. What can I do with special populations of dual enrollment to expedite that process and getting those registrations in so I really know if those numbers are up or down or how far up or down they are. You know, all of those things need to be addressed together. Um and there's not one thing you're doing to do all of that. It's multiple things in each of those areas that you have to do and that's you know, where we're focused our, our time um with clients for the past week and a half.
0: Yeah, yeah. What do you think? I mean, obviously, this is like still super, super early. And uh, I'm sure we're all in for, uh, you know, much more surprise over over the coming weeks and months, and maybe even, uh, uh, dare I say, years. But what do you think sort of like the long term impact of this is going to be on enrollment management teams? Like, do you think, basically, like the admissions process is just going to be a lot more efficient and move a lot more quickly like are folks going to become so accustomed to reviewing conflows or reviewing an email an email sequence and getting that up and running in 24 hours or 48 hours right or or do you think we'll just end up reverting back to quote-unquote how things were before before this moment
1: uh it'll be somewhere between but much closer to what it was before i think we'll get back to that at some point it could be another couple of years yeah um, until all, you know, depends on how long it takes us to, you know, to get a vaccine to this or have all of this, all, all the craziness settled down. I think we'll get back um, to that consistent routine. It might be a little, it'll, again, it'll be somewhere in between, but it'll be closer to that consistent routine model. I don't think we'll stay in a place where folks are turning around those types of things in 24 hours, because realistically, once we really get back to normal, um, whatever that new normal becomes you know, that will create a routine. We won't have to be responding that quickly and we'll have other things going up on our plate. You know, sure, sure. I was looking at what some other companies have, have been doing, you know, through this. And, you know, like Marriott, for example, uh, you know, the the CEO said, hey, well, I'm cutting, you know, I'm dropping my salary for the balance of the year. Our VPs or whatever are cutting salaries, X percent. We're also stopping all uh, hotel initiatives that were planned through 2020. Wow. You know, yeah. once all of this clears back up, the initiatives piece will kick back in and that starts to put us into that routine. We'll have more of our planning committees, the steering committees and, um, you know, reaccreditation, um, committees that have to go back when your accreditation self up for review, all those things start to come in place, and those bring with it cycles. Um, and, you know, those like, you know, if I think about, you know, I was part of my institution when I was last and hired directly, we were part of the middle states uh, accrediting body. And, you know, we were, every, you know, what, 15 years ago through that process. And, and then I guess there's a mid cycle that you go through five years into it. You know, that's a year to two year long process. Sure. Once those committees and things like that spin up, that Puts your cycle back in place, um, and that will help dictate some of that routine. Good or bad?
0: Well, I appreciate that insight. Yeah, I I think I was a little optimistic that, uh, uh, or I am. I'm just an optimist at heart. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see if this also does help clear out some of the inefficiencies and and maybe even some of the the silos that currently exist. Within teams, um, within uh, institutional teams, and whether or not we'll we'll see some more efficiency and some more and you know some more collaboration for from from here on out, um, not just within the enrollment uh, management team. I agree team.
1: with you that some yeah. of that, yeah, I, I will think some of that will occur. Some yeah. of the the most outdated of your practices will be eliminated as part of this, um, and I think those will remain eliminated. You might find some other modification of what you're doing now because you don't you know what you're building now may not need to be in place a year from now because you're building now something that responds to the second um and or you you know taking something that was way outdated something in place that responds to right now and then that won't work when you get into a normal flow but you'll you'll find some other and i do have a couple of clients that have specifically come to us and say look we had to make some really quick changes 12 weeks ago when all of this madness started 20 weeks ago whatever that was at this point you know we we found that we are able to make some changes quickly surprise ourselves i want us to take more advantage of that you know i've got two clients very specifically said that i want i know what we can do now what we need to turn something around quickly i know what we can do i know that we've done it now we want to work with you uh, to identify another set of priorities that we can get done as quickly and then have you help us do that so we've got there are people having those conversations yeah um you know but again that's that's More focused on how do we bring about change rapidly, not build a rapidly responding environment.
0: Love it. Makes a lot of sense.
1: Right. Two different things.
0: Yep. 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 Um, Can I tell you about something that I've been thinking about? Please. Okay. So I had an awesome conversation yesterday with, I guess it was two days ago because we published it on the podcast yesterday, um, and this conversation was with Vanessa Didick, who is the CEO of Zimi. Have you heard of the Zimi app?
1: I've heard of it. Yes,
0: okay. So they're they're sort of like they tout themselves as the the number one uh, app for prospective college students. And it's basically like a social network uh, exclusively for. Students who are, uh, you know, juniors and 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 um, and seniors considering college and basically you can connect with other people that are planning to apply to the same schools as you are. You can, um, you know, get people to review your college admissions, like application essays and whatnot. It's a really interesting sort of like collaborative, private, what they call like a an intentional uh, college uh, or excuse me, an intentional social network. Anyways, we had a really, really cool conversation um, just about sort of the, the future of the admissions process. And one of Zimi's sort of big uh, uh, one of the pillars that they were built on was this idea of. Uh, stories over scores so they're really into ensuring that uh, the application process is an applicant's portfolio rather is, is a little bit more diverse and um, includes things you know beyond just the traditional uh, SAT ACT scores beyond the traditional uh, even even college essay and they do they have uh, tools that allow you to do like video stories and allow you to share more of your creative portfolio Really interesting stuff there. But what was what was most interesting to me about our conversation was uh, Vanessa talked a lot about uh, enabling, like the institution's role, uh, the enrollment management team's role in the application process, is to really help enable community to form among prospective students. So what she sort of proceeds to kind of flesh out is this idea that. One of the big some of the big success that ZME's like partner universities have seen is when there's really, really strong community of prospective students around an institution who are actually encouraging one another to finish their application, encouraging one another to, hey, have you you know gone on a campus tour yet? Have you met with a student ambassador um, virtually via Zoom yet? And what their partner universities see incredible success on their bottom line when there is a strong community at the prospective student level. So, right, the idea of building community among, like, student ambassadors or even accepted students uh, isn't, like, particularly new. Like, I think that, you know, folks have had at least a general awareness that that's been important, but this was the first time that I had heard somebody talk really aggressively about the value of enabling community to happen, even at that prospect and kind of inquiry stages of the enrollment journey. So anyways, uh, for folks that are interested in listening to the the full conversation, you can go at search for the Enrollify podcast with uh, the interview with Vanessa. Um, you know, you find it on our website. It was super, super interesting, but I really love this idea. And I uh, why I wanted to talk about it again here, Mickey, is that I think that, going into this fall, what's going to be true is that people are going to have to think really creatively about where they invest budget. Budget is going to look different um, when, you know, you don't have to worry about travel, when you're not hosting lots of uh, on-campus, in-person events, right? How can you repurpose some of that money um, in, in creative new ways? And so one of the ways that I think folks should consider uh, allocating uh, budget towards this fall is what would it look like, you know, whether or not it's Zimi or, or some other tool or even if it's no specific app, like what does it look like to actually help form a community among your prospective students? Like what does it look like for your enrollment management team to become the facilitator of community among your inquiries, right? Among your prospects, um, so yeah, I I was I was inspired by that uh, this week, and think that it'd be really interesting to have a brainstorm session with folks about how to actually replicate something like this in their in their context.
1: You know, Zach, uh, I like that, and it it kind of brings me to the this this idea because someone asked me recently on LinkedIn. Sent me a message to ask how colleges were were incorporating so, the concept of social settlement. Huh? Yeah. their work. Uh, right? Yep. And or or, or are they, it didn't say not how, but are they doing it? And my answer is like, uh, no, they're not. Um, <laughs> you know, I, um, and and not necessarily a bad thing, but you know, my my real thought on it is, no, they're not. But it's probably because if you were to go ask ten chief enrollment officers to define what it is you would come up with at least eight different answers.
0: Sure, sure.
1: And I think when we start talking about this type of technology and how we can facilitate the conversation, it's hard for leaders who have the buying and decision-making authority on their campus to do that when they don't yet understand how that
0: works. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And
1: that is the gap, right? That's the gap. So if we can find the folks that, that you know the people that make the decision to say yes we're going to do this are not going to be the people who are facilitating that conversation or yeah. who are directing the social selling component right that's sure. not going to be the same folks we need we need folks and i will, I'll say more junior level staff, people that are closer to the age of our prospective students who know better how to use or who have maybe participated in an app or forum or community like that to help be the ones to teach us how to facilitate the conversation.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And we need other people who do this for a living to teach institutions what it means to be a social seller, Yeah. how to facilitate those types of communications, whether they're in a, a community or an app that you've you're paying to belong to or whether it's one you find your students are already joining on their own organically, you know, how do you facilitate those conversations? Um, and how do you introduce or get those students to buy in to say, yes, I'm a part of this community. I get it. I have this question. I will leave this community or I will move outside of the community to ask the question more directly to the institution. How do you do those things yeah. and do it in a way that doesn't come across as forceful or salesy um, or fake you know that, you know, and, and then then I think you can really begin to build some momentum in that. But you know, I love these apps. I love seeing different ways that people can connect. I just think there's such a gap between our institution decision-making folks, their ability to understand how it really works, sure, uh, in order for us to really fully maximize our ROI from those tools.
0: Well, and what's really interesting is that like this uh, an experience like this is like prime for for Gen Z, and I, I obviously like there's just a lot that I think administrators within uh, an institution, leadership within an institution, just don't understand about how Gen Z actually operates. But w- w- and you know one of the things that was super different about this, at least uh, why I think that this is like a, an original approach is that the community is forming among prospective students to your school, right? Like this isn't a, Hey, we're going to connect, you know, this prospect or this inquiry with our, you know, Zach, our student ambassador. Right. Um, And it's not about Zach trying to convince, let's say Mickey to come to the school. Right. Like I'm not, I'm not there as you're like, Hey, ask me anything about, you know, uh, uh, you know, the school, they have that option as well. But, this kind of core community building component of of their of their network is really among students who have never been to that school. Um, and I, I just thought that like what an interesting uh, somewhat novel idea and concept of from a from a prospective student standpoint, you don't feel like anyone's trying to feed you a specific agenda. You don't feel pressured by anyone because you you know, in theory, at least, your perspective your fellow prospective students, don't have an agenda, right? Like they they, they, they have no stake in whether or not you choose to go to the that university or you choose to finalize your application or not. And it really just becomes this like really interesting sort of peer-to-peer like influencer network um, in like maybe the most authentic way possible. So I, I don't know. It's just, I, I think that there's a lot here. Um, and I think that as you're saying, Mickey, if folks like really think about, okay, what does it look like to invest in community building in the application process? Like, what does that look like in our context? How do we do that? And really, the only way that any sort of meaningful uh, change is going to happen within the context of an institution is when folks are able to explain, right, the value to leadership. So what Vanessa was saying, was that what they can prove at least by you know their university partners using their app is that there is a direct correlation between strong community at the prospect level right with enrollment data at the end of the day so you are more like you're more likely to to surpass your app goals and your enrollment goals if you have strong community among prospective students uh, at the top of the funnel and so that is sort of the data that I feel like leadership needs in order to be like, okay, yes, like let's invest in like this approach to enrollment management, right. Or these particular strategies. And so anyways, for folks out there who, uh, who are listening to this and, and feeling inspired, um, you know, I, I would recommend even just reaching out and connecting with the ZME team and seeing if they, if they have any specific case studies or data that, that, uh, you might be able to use to help convince your, your leadership to think a little bit differently about, this year's uh this year's recruitment cycle, because guess what this year's recruitment cycle is going to be dramatically different. Well said all right, um I know that was a lot, but uh and i got I got a little fired up there, but uh, what else is on your mind mickey any any anything else kind of like noodling around that you want to share with us?
1: no uh, I, I'm ready for the weather to turn.
0: Ready for That's the That's what's the noodling my life. Okay.
1: I, I'm looking for a nice 80 degree day, with uh, low humidity. Well, you, um, so if you sh- you see that in our in our immediate future, you please let me know, uh, uh, so I can you know get really excited and carve out a day of just enjoying the weather.
0: I will. I will. I want to share one final quick thing with with you slash slash folks. Um, and this is more of just like a interesting trend that I think we should totally watch and see sort of see, see like where this goes. But, uh, Pandora recently launched last week, they launched a beta of what they're calling conversational ads. And the ad option is only available to like top tier brands right now, like T-Mobile and Verizon and whatnot. And they're trying to test it with these brands and then, um, they're planning to roll it out, assuming it goes successfully, uh, to a true marketplace, uh, within the next six to 12 months. But in a nutshell, so you know when you like I, I use Spotify premium, um, so I don't listen to any ads. But um my wife is still a big fan of Pandora. Like she thinks Pandora Radio is just far superior to, you know, Spotify radio. Um, and but she doesn't want to pay for I don't know if it's like four bucks a month or ten bucks a month, whatever it is for like Pandora One, like the ad free experience. So she listens to ads all the time. And every once in a while, like I hear an ad played on Pandora in the background, and I think, oh, that's like an interesting product, or oh, that's an interesting service, but right, I'm listening to, I'm cooking dinner, or like, I, I'm doing something in the background, and I don't, I, I'm not going to like, you know, interrupt my routine to go and like research this product or this brand, and you know, 99% of the time, I forget that this, I, I heard an ad for this brand. Anyways, what conversational ads offers is this ability to converse right with the actual advertisement. So let's say, you know, I heard uh, about a product or service that I thought was particularly interesting. At the end of the ad, the, act- the ad actually says like, would you like to learn more about this? And then the the microphone of your, you know, smart device, your Alexa, your, your phone, wherever it, the ad is streaming from, uh, the microphone turns on. And I can say yes or I can say no, right? And if I say yes, they can actually trigger a communication to me or uh, or send me a link uh, to my phone to go check out more about this product or service on 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 the website. And so, anyways, I think that this is good. It, it'll be really interesting to see sort of like how this actually plays out and how it actually rolls out and and how well it actually performs, but. I think if schools, like, the opportunity for for our listeners is, like, if this does become a a big thing, right, like, uh, schools still invest a fair amount in radio, especially, like, uh, especially local radio, and, like, it'd be really, really interesting for schools to beta test uh, a a program, an ad campaign around these conversational ads, and, if you get a yes, uh, an opt-in from a user saying, from a listener saying that, yes, I do want to find out more about this product or service, um, AKA, you know, this program or this experience that, that your university offers. I mean, that that's basically an inquiry, right? Like that, if I'm saying, yes, I want to learn more about the program being advertised, that's more or less an inquiry. And so anyways, uh, I don't have much more than that to share at this point, but Think that this is a really interesting trend, um, and very, very. Uh, uh, I will absolutely be monitoring this closely to see what what comes from it, and you know maybe if if it actually turns into something uh, that we could actually access, we could run a few test campaigns and and see how they perform. So, anyways, I, I don't know if you find that interesting. I, I like <laughs> that
1: fact. I think it. Yeah, I think it's r- really cool. I would like to. You know, I'm. I, I like you. Interest. See in how that kind of turns about. I. You know, hopefully as you see the back end of a tool like this, when someone says, yes, I want to know more, boom, you get to see that information and not just some uh, uh, anonymous information that you yeah. can see. Okay. I see Zach did this. You know, if I'm a subscriber, even if at a free level, I, my information will be passed. Hope I would want that in buying the ads, but I do like that new way to go about it because like you, if, a lot of times when I'm uh, listening to music or a podcast or whatever, I'm actually doing it while I'm cooking or something, cutting grass maybe.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, and, and, and you can't pause what you're doing to go look it up. And remembering 20 minutes later or an hour or a day later is unlikely. So I, I like that. That does give you a new opportunity to let, capture someone that's interested while they're doing something else, listening and hear it and want to know more. That's, I think, a very positive thing for sure. Um, I will say as a Spotify premium subscriber myself, subscriber um, and my wife um, likes to listen to Pandora radio. I like Pandora radio better than Spotify radio. It just, it mixes better. I prefer Spotify to play what I want, when I want it. Uh, And I've always preferred that over the radio. But when I listen to radio Pandora, I do, I do find that they do a little bit better of a job there. So aside from the advertising piece promoting the uh, the actual music streaming services
0: so anyway well good to let's know see, let's and see what happens with that yeah yeah let's see let, yeah I'll, I'll certainly keep tabs on that and maybe we can uh, as it develops it'll probably take months but as it develops maybe we can, we can chat more about it at some point but anyway sir thank you for your time uh, enjoy your last day hopefully the weather calms down and uh, enjoy the weekend and we'll chat next week
1: thanks Zach thanks for listening everyone